Here live from the great state of Tennessee, I'm your host Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid, the podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries and separate fact from fiction. So there's no story of the week this week. I should have actually did this last week, seeing that it was the beginning of the new year, but kind of was just kind of just giving an update on podcast life, basically. It's actually been six months since I've started this podcast, which is super hard to believe. Doesn't feel like it's been that long at all. I know a lot of you have been listening since literally day one, and I really appreciate it. And like I said, it's been six months. Got the hang of the podcast thing. Still tons of stuff I got to fix. Still things I got to get better at. But I think it is time to slowly start beginning to get ready for the next level. And what I really, basically what's in the works now is I really want to get the YouTube page started, which was something I always wanted to do. But I didn't want to jump into it because I want to do it right and I want to learn how to do it all the right way. So that's what I'm working on now. So hopefully by February, maybe March-ish, just depends on how it goes. But basically, I'm going to keep the pod. The podcast will be recording the same, posting the same as always. But I'm also going to do a YouTube version of the episodes every week. Might be a slightly condensed version. Might be the full thing. I'm not 100% sure yet. But I do know that YouTube is basically my next step and my next move. A lot of people in the podcast universe kind of do both. I actually said I'm sitting here recording by myself, but I am usually pretty animated, especially when it's things that I'm episodes that I'm passionate about. So I feel like that would kind of give you kind of a different perspective on the podcast. Yeah, you can hear me. You know, if you think you want to listen to me on the way to work or while you work out, that's fine. But for those of you that sometimes listen at home and do like listening to people talk on YouTube, well, hopefully that option will be here for you soon. Like I said, it won't just be boring talking. Um, plan on having a little bit more guests. I'm working on it. So not exactly sure 100% what it's going to look like, but it's going to be entertaining for sure. So that's my next big move. So like I said, even if you haven't been here since day one, thanks for listening. Maybe your first time ever listening. But especially for those of you that have been here since day one, like I said, I'm ready to take it to the next level. As a, mainly as a thank you to you for, like I said, especially at the beginning. I know the episodes were rough. Didn't really have any kind of audio. Didn't know what I'm doing. Still really don't know what I'm doing. But like I said, it's definitely come a long way since that day in June. I just randomly decided to make it. So, like I said, hopefully 2021 is going to be the year where we kind of take that next step and start hitting some other platforms. So, like I said, appreciate you for tuning in now, but things are going to just get bigger and better from here. But for now, let's get into today's episode. When I say the word influencer, you probably roll your eyes. It's a term that everybody's tired of hearing, but it's a thing that's in our society and honestly has always been. It just kind of has gotten bigger over the years. Whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, you name it. You have women out there. There's men and women, but specifically we're talking about women today that have millions of followers. Most people are following them because of their looks and how attractive they are. But a lot of people follow them because they're progressive, talk about women's rights, all that good stuff, body body positivity, whatever you name it. But that's what a lot of people young women especially, are looking up to these women for. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Obviously, you know, you're Kim Kardashians, you're Ariana Grande, Kendall Jenner, all these people. Like I said, they 
aren't just social media influencers. They're musicians, they're actors. There's a lot of things you can do to be an influencer, but they've been a part of our society forever, whether you realize it or not. And one of the very first one, one of the OG influencers is Marilyn Monroe. And I would assume most of you have at least heard that name. Some of you may not know a lot about her or may not know anything about her at all, but she portrayed the quote blonde bombshell. She was way, I mean, way before her time. She was around in the fifties and the 1960s. She was an actress, but she was also a model and she was a part of that progressive movement as far as you know, back then at that time, women cooked, they cleaned, they had kids, and you did what you were told. And that was how the world was. And she was not about that. She was a part of the movement of women should be able to do whatever they want to do, dress however they want to dress with no shame. She was one of those first ones, like, at least in the public eye, in the age of early television, that started this. And she still, I mean, you can, some women still have posters of her in their room like she her she still lives on in memory for a lot of women she's one of the most influential women of all time but on august 4th 1962 she was found dead at her home by an apparent suicide and this was an investigation that was pretty quick famous people suicides happen all the time fame pressure expectations it just becomes too much and Sometimes things like this happen. But, of course, with all these things, there are also conspiracy theories, always. Especially when you have someone like her, who she was hanging around some people, a.k.a. the Kennedys, that is never a simple story. If you've listened to my two-part series on John F. Kennedy, you already know that. She was linked to the Kennedys, and when there's Kennedys, there's trouble. And that's where the story of today comes, is what really happened? You have your easy solution, and then you have the more complicated solution. And it all starts with a conversation that took place two days before her death. This is the story of Marilyn Monroe. The sun rose over Los Angeles, California on the morning of August 5th, 1962. Word had already spread that something was amiss at 12305 Fifth Helena Drive. This is the secluded Spanish cottage in the exclusive Brentwood section of Los Angeles where actress Marilyn Monroe died, bottle of sleeping pills near her bed. The most famous woman on the planet was suddenly gone. The blonde bombshell, a sex symbol like no other. The film goddess was dead at 36. Quickly, we'll go over her final movements, final steps that day. So we're talking about Marilyn Monroe. So this sounds like a, like a super busy, crazy day. But considering who she is, this is probably just a normal day for her. Like I said, her last full day was Saturday, August 4th, which she spent in her Brentwood home in Los Angeles. In the morning, she met with her photographer to discuss the possibility of going on Playboy for a big special edition shoot, which would have been a huge deal at that time. 
She also received a massage from her personal massage therapist. She talked with some friends on the phone and signed for some deliveries. At 4.30 p.m., she meets with her psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson, and they do their usual therapy session. At about 7 o'clock, they get done, and therapist asks Eunice Murray, the housekeeper, to stay overnight and keep Marilyn Monroe some company, which makes me think he must have got some weird vibes from her to ask her to stay overnight. About 7 o'clock, she receives a call from Joe DiMaggio Jr., you don't know that name is one of the biggest names in baseball history from one of the greatest players in baseball history. So the fact that she's just on the phone with this guy is a pretty big deal. Um, they had a pretty good relationship. He talked to her, basically told him that she got, he got in, a, he broke up with his girlfriend. And after that, at about 740, she calls her psychiatrist to tell her the news about DiMaggio and his girlfriend breaking up. I'm not really sure why. I'm not sure if it was an actual check-in call or why they had that phone conversation, but they did. At about 8 o'clock, Monroe calls it the night and heads to her bedroom. She receives a call from actor Peter Lawfer, who was hoping to persuade her to attend his party that night. Lawfer becomes alarmed because Monroe sounded like she was under the influence of drugs. She told him, say goodbye to Pat, say goodbye to the president. John F. Kennedy, who is Peter Lawford's brother-in-law, and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And she drifts off, falls asleep, doesn't answer the phone anymore. So Lawford, unable to reach Monroe, calls his agent who makes some calls, and they're able to get a hold of the housekeeper who assures them that Marilyn Monroe is fine. Now the question is, did she know this is like the most important part of this? Did the housekeeper know Marilyn Monroe was fine because she went and checked or she just assumed because she knew that she hadn't left the house? That is something that is something really big, which we'll get into here a bit. But she assures them that she's fine. So everybody goes along with their day or their night. At approximately 3.30 a.m. Sunday, August 5th, the housekeeper wakes up, quote, sensing that something is wrong and saw a light from under, under Monroe's bedroom door. But she was not able to get a response, and the door was locked. So Murray calls Greenson, the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist tells, tells her to look through a window, and when they look, she looks through the window, she sees Monroe lying face down on the bed, covered by a sheet, and clutching a telephone receiver. And shortly after that, the psychiatrist shows up at the house. They enter the room by breaking a window and they check on Monroe thinking she might just be asleep, but she is not breathing or anything at this time. Now, here's what's interesting. At least I think it's interesting. You can think whatever you want. I think it's interesting. You break into the window. You see Monroe is dead. She's not breathing. You don't call 911. You don't call the police. You call her physician. That's the first person that he called was her physician who arrives at the house at about 350 and officially confirms the death. That was at 350. At 425, they notify the L.A. Police Department 35 minutes later. And 
that's where the story basically ends because it's a suicide. Now, there's so, I mean, I could talk about this story forever, but real quick, we're just going to talk about what we just discussed here. Like I said, it's hard when you're in that situation, it's hard to say, okay, well, if I was in this situation, I would do this. If I was here, I would do that. So it's hard to really judge people because unless you've been in that situation, you don't know what exactly you're going to do. But you see someone is passed away and you don't call the police, you don't call 911, you don't call an ambulance, you call the physician, which is nice and all, but call the physician and maybe call some help. I mean, because you don't know. I mean, I just, like I said, it doesn't make much sense to me. And then he gets to the house at 350. The physician gets to the house at 350, confirms the death. And it's not till 35 minutes later that they call the police department. Well, like what was going on in these 35 minutes? We don't have an answer. But like I said, just something for you to think about along the way. So anyway, once the police actually do get there that morning, the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office does their thing and... Basically, based on the advanced state of rigor mortis at the time her body was discovered, it's estimated that she had died between 8.30 and 10.30 p.m. on August 4th that night. Toxicology analysts concluded that the cause of her death was acute barpeate poisoning. Um, she had, I'm not going to go to the whole details of it, but basically they found empty bottles of tons of different kinds of medicines next to her bed. There were no signs of any external wounds or bruises to the body. The chief coroner classifies Monroe's death as, quote, a probable suicide. The possibility of accidental overdose is ruled out because the dosages found in her body were several times over the lethal limit. And basically everything was taken in like a minute or two span. And of course, most people know. The time of her death, Monroe was reported to have been in a depressed mood, have been unkept and uninterested in maintaining her appearance. Something that is somewhat interesting is there was no suicide note, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because there's a lot of suicide victims that don't actually leave a suicide note. But basically, an invest many investigation was placed just to see if it was suicide and everything that they got came from suicide. She went through basically all the symptoms of depression and suicidal type behaviors. Apparently, I don't know how accurate we know this is, but we know they say that she had made a suicide attempt in the past, but it didn't, but she um had got help and basically was rescued before she died from it. And basically that's the end of the story. Um, in 1970s, um, they even think late 1970s and early 80s, they did a reinvestigation and everything that they saw basically concluded that this was a suicide. So question is, why are we even here? I mean, seems pretty clear cut. What exactly are we talking about today? Like I said at the beginning, nothing is ever clear cut when it comes to the Kennedy family. Happy birthday.
say to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, Mr. President, happy birthday. So here's the thing. It's kind of like, I mean, it's no different than the world today. TMZ will release some information, blah, 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 was seen with this person. Is there an affair going on? Is there a secret relationship? Are they new together? It's the same stuff that goes on then that, was, that went on back, back in the 60s. Most of the stuff that we think of when it comes to JFK and Marilyn Monroe is speculation, conspiracy. There's honestly not much there as far as absolute fact. But one thing we do know is that leading up to John F. Kennedy's 45th birthday in May, the rumors of their affair had already been going on before this. Um, basically, what you just heard, I just played the clip. Right before his 45th birthday, uh, they had a big... Happy birthday celebration for the uh, JFK at Madison Square Garden and Marilyn Monroe sung happy birthday to him on stage. And it was just it was just tense. You have to watch the video. You can watch it on YouTube. It's just it's just tense. It's some kind of just energy there. And like I said, the rumors were already going on before then. But after that. The rumors just went in the full force. Like people were like, there is something for sure going on. But as far as facts, most people agree that the only thing for a fact, we know that they spent the night together following a party at Bean Crosby's Palm Spring home. And this was in late March. And that is when people speculate he extended the invitation to join the birthday party at Madison Square Garden. But other than that, the rest of it, honestly, is just pure speculation. But I have to think if they did have that night at that Palm Springs resort, that is definitely not beyond comprehension that they had had some meetings after this. This has led to tons of crazy conspiracy theories, which is not much to dig into. But I'm sure you've heard that John F. Kennedy had an underground tunnel that he snuck Marilyn Monroe through and all this good stuff. It could be true. I don't know. There could be a lot of things true. We know that they spent one night together. We know that for a fact that's basically undisputed. I think there's four times we know for a fact they were in the same place together. So it's like, it means the 60s. Like we don't got phone, cell phones, like it couldn't have been, especially as the president, seeing that he could probably get Secret Service to take him anywhere. It's not beyond comprehension that they were meeting when he was out of town on different meetings and hotels. I mean, it's not. But people that are just dismissing, like, oh, they only met four times or they only did something one time. I mean, how do you know? It's the 60s. I mean, if he tells the Secret Service men, hey, I'm, I want to sneak off somewhere, they're going to do it. And he meets her at a hotel room or something. I mean, it's not beyond the realm of comprehension. I doubt that they had a one-night stand and never saw each other again. That's just my belief. I believe that they had. I don't know if you, I don't know what to the an extent to the affair it was, but they definitely had an affair, multiple situations, and there probably was some type of emotions to this, which we'll get into here later. 
And basically, that's all you need to know. If you can believe that they actually had an affair, then you can kind of jump on this bandwagon that her death is a little sketchy because everybody that is attached to the Kennedys dies. Everybody, the whole family, any kind of spouses, friends, anything, they all end up dead. So her, like my, my thing is, I'm getting off track, but my thing is someone that is about to commit suicide doesn't just answer the phone and talk to their friend about how their day is going. Like at that point, if you've already taken the drugs, why are you answering the phone and just talking to your friends about how your day was or blah, blah, blah? Like, I don't, it just doesn't make any sense. And like I said, some people people do weird things. Like maybe she committed suicide. She took the pills. Her phone rung. She's like, well, I'll just go ahead and answer it. Pills haven't kicked in yet. But there's just, when it comes to the Kennedys, there's just things that don't make sense any sense. Despite all this, it doesn't really mean much in the grand scheme of things because JFK is not necessarily the problem. JFK, you know, met her and got her into this wormhole, but JFK is not the issue here as far as her death. The issue comes from her his younger brother, US attorney Robert Kennedy. So basically, from the timeline that people have put together, JFK first meets Marilyn Monroe in 1954, and in the spring of 1962, they have a falling out, breakup, whatever, they're not together anymore, and either Robert goes after Marilyn or Marilyn goes after Robert, but in spring of 1962, they have a relationship, and that is where things start to go wrong. Like, JFK, if anybody knows anything about JFK, he is not putting a hit out on her, regardless, at least. Not yet. We we'll, we'll, don't want to get too ahead of her. So the key right now is Robert Kennedy. And there's two ways that this Robert Kennedy thing can go. Anybody know anything about Robert Kennedy? Where there's Robert Kennedy, there's the mafia. Where they're friends or enemies, the mafia is there. Go back and listen to the JFK episode if you want to know more about that. But basically with the mafia theory, a renowned wiretapper by the name of Bernard Spindle, he claims that he bugged Marilyn's Monroe's house on the orders of the one and only Jimmy Hoffa. You know who that is? Google him. He's basically one of the biggest drug guys of all time. So this guy is claim, claims that Jimmy Hoffa got him the wiretap Marilyn Monroe's home. Now, Kennedy states that he was in San Francisco on the night of Marilyn Monroe's death, not in Brentwood. But Bernard Spindle claims to have heard Kennedy and Monroe fighting that night with Lawford, who is the housekeeper, present. After the arguing, they you hear a loud bang thought to be the moment of her death. Now, apparently, these recordings were seized by the FBI and destroyed in 1966. So we have no proof that this actually happened. Why this Bernard Spindle guy would just come out and randomly say this if it's not true? I don't know. People say crazy stuff all the time. But basically, there's two ways that this can go. Um, 
it can go in the way of some believe that Marilyn Monroe also had a relationship with one of his henchmen, Johnny Roselli, who was a kind of guy kind of high up. And basically she knew too much and threatened to basically expose their drug trade. There's that theory. And then there's also the theory that the Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, whatever you want to call him, he was basically colluding with the gang, Jimmy Hoffa, all of them, basically to take her down. So there's one theory. It's two tech, technically two different theories, but one in the same. You either got she was with a mob guy and knew too much, or she was with Robert Kennedy and knew too much, specifically something about the drug trade. So Robert Kennedy and the mafia had to come together and take her down. Now, I am, this is an interesting theory solely because of the dude that says he had the wiretap. Why he would come out and say that, I don't know. It is an interesting theory. Um, Like I said, where there are Kennedys, there's the mafia. So they could have basically come together to do this. Then there's the theory that I tend to believe a little bit more, and this has nothing to do with the mafia. It's just straight Robert Kennedy silencing her. And basically, um, in 2007, Australia film member, filmmaker Philip Mora discovered a partially redacted FBI document that suggests that Robert Kennedy may have been complicit in a plot to induce her suicide. Also implicated is Pete Lawford, who was on the phone with her, the psychiatrist, Monroe's psychiatrist, and the housekeeper. Under this, quote, FBI document that is found, all these people were basically in on it. Um, And basically, long story short is Robert Kennedy has influence. So I do, but like, if this theory is true, it's not hard to basically threaten the psychiatrist and the housekeeper basically to help him with this because one, he's a Kennedy Two, He does know the mob. He probably could, he could threaten them with anything or they're just evil people and did it for money. Who knows? But under this theory, basically they all were in on this. And basically like I said, I don't, I haven't seen the document, but easiest solution is, is that either the psychiatrist or the housekeeper, I would say probably the psychiatrist, probably. It's because the psychiatrist was a male, so it could have been more forceful with it. That the psychiatrist, there could have been a bunch of different things. Either they could have forced the drugs down her or maybe suggested that she take more. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different ways that this can go. It also could be that you can't trust the coroner's report and that he just said, like, he basically, the coroner was basically in on this because he said there was basically no real investigation. So once the coroner says, yes, she was drugged, that's the end of the story. So either like I said, she was force fed drugs or the more likely theory is that she was killed in some other manner and the coroner basically was in on it. I mean, we're talking about the Kennedys. Kennedys can do anything. They snap their fingers and they can make things happen. So it's not beyond comprehension that they had a corrupt coroner also on their side. Like I said, there's a bunch of different ways you can go with this, but I would probably 
have to go with that theory. And it makes sense when you go back to the fact of the housekeeper swears that she that she knows that Marilyn Monroe is fine. But we don't know if she actually went to check on her. She just says that she thinks that she's fine, but I don't think she ever checked on her. Then she conveniently wakes up at 3.30 a.m. and was like, something is weird. Like, I mean, people do get weird senses, especially if you know someone closely. Maybe you do get weird feelings. But to me, the whole thing just doesn't make any sense. She woke up at 3.30, had a bad feeling, and then she calls a psychiatrist who comes over, finds a dead body, doesn't call 911, remember, doesn't call 911, doesn't call the police, calls the physician. The physician comes over and states that she is dead. And then they still don't call 911 for 35 minutes. What was going on? You, this is Marilyn Monroe. It doesn't matter if it's someone famous. If you see that someone is dead, what are you doing for 35 minutes? 35 if anybody's ever been to the gym and has done a plank, try to plank for a minute. When you really think about time, 35, 35 doesn't sound like a long time. Plank, do a plank, hold a plank or hold a squat for a minute. A minute is a long time. 35 minutes is a ridiculously long time when we're talking about someone is dead and you assume they're dead from drugs. So maybe if you get them to the hospital fast enough, they can be saved. But no, you wait 35 minutes after you use confirmed dead to call the police. As I say every week, I don't tell you what to think. I give you the information to the best of my ability and let you come to my conclusion. So I'm assuming most of you, like I said, kind of listen because you're interested, but you're not conspiracy theorists. You tell me why someone would wait 35 minutes to call 911 after the physician has already confirmed that they are dead. You tell me that, and we can go from there. But there's just so many things about this that doesn't make any sense. So now that we got the who, the question is still why? Why did he want her killed? There's two different ways that this can go. The first one is probably the more logical one. And there is some facts to this. So basically, Marilyn Monroe had a little red book. It was like a little, I mean, literally just a book that she carried around with kind of like a little journal, diary, things that she wrote down. And it is believed that she, in that red book, was conversations that she had between her and herself and JFK and herself and Robert Kennedy. As far as, you know, like I said they were in an affair with people in high places. And once you kind of get a relationship with those people, you know, sometimes they spill secrets. And it is believed that both one or both of them spilled secrets. And those secrets were in that little red book. And apparently her and Robert Kennedy basically were had a fallen out couple of days before and she either one threatened to 
come forward with the information in the red book or two, she was just threatening to come forward with information, uh, something to do with information. Basically, like I said, we know that the red book, little red book is a real thing. She did carry around a red book. It is conspiracy, basically what was in it. But seeing that we know that book was existing, that seems like probably the more likely scenario is that she had threatened to come forward with some information or someone found out what was in it and she had to be killed for it. There's a bunch of different reasons, but basically you go to the point of she knew too much. And what people speculate is that assassination attempts on Fidel Castro and different kind of government corrupt things, basically things that couldn't come out in the media, she knew and she had to be killed for it. I, I, I can get on board with that, no matter what it is. But there is one. There is the theory that goes in hand with that, but kind of takes it to the extreme, which is what I love, because that's the whole point of this podcast, is something specifically that she knew. So in 2017, Dr. Stephen Greer claimed to have been given a top-secret wiretap summary of the phone conversation between Marilyn and Robert Kennedy dated two days before her death. The document was titled Project Moondust, a phase that conspiracy theorists claim was used by the CIA to talk about UFO projects. So basically, in the documentary by this guy, uh, Stephen Greer, he says, you know, going through the transcripts that he was given, Basically, it mentions the visit by the president, John F. Kennedy, with Marilyn Monroe at a secret air base for the purpose of inspecting things from outer space. Greer believed the reference to outer space in the visit with JFK was in reference to the New Mexico crash of the 1940s. Um, Like I said, this is something on the completely far end, but I have my own thoughts about JFK and aliens, which I've talked about a little bit in the JFK episode, but I talked about a little bit before. But I do believe JFK knew something about UFOs, aliens. It was passed on to him. So who knows if he actually told that to her. But according to this, he has transcripts showing two days before she died, she had this conversation with Robert Kennedy basically telling him that she knew about the UFO site that JFK took her to. Like I said, that's a little bit of the extreme version. You don't have to believe it. But like I said, when it comes to the Kennedys, you just can't count anything out. So like I said, if you don't want to go with the UFO theory, which I assume most of you don't, then you go to the theory of she knew about Cuban Missile Crisis or just assassination attempts on Fidel Castro or secret government programs, whatever she knew. She knew something she wasn't supposed to know. So you don't even have to believe it's aliens, but you can just believe that one of the two told her some information she wasn't supposed to know, and she had to be killed for it. Like I said, I love that. I'm kind of intrigued by this alien theory. I had never heard about this until I started doing some research. It is interesting, but like I said, I try to be fair. I don't try to be a crazy wacko. I try to be fair and realistic as I can. 
So if you had to ask me, okay, which one do you think it is? I'm going to go with she probably just knew something about Cuba or nuclear launch codes, something she didn't supposed to know. And Robert Kennedy thought that she had to be killed for it. Like I said, there's a lot of people out there that think JFK ordered the hit, and it's definitely possible. But based on what I know about these two people, knowing how in Robert Kennedy was with the mafia, I am going to say that it was probably more of Robert doing this, either by himself or with the help of the mafia, and JFK finding out later on. Now, of course, like I said, I try to be realistic and fair. So there is, of course, the possible and likely scenario that she was just a superstar, stressed, going through a hard time, going through depression. She took her pills and overdosed on purpose, and that was the end of the story. What possible explanation for the 35 minutes of silence before they called the police and 911? I don't know. But like I said, there is always the thing of, the simplest explanation is the actual explanation. Sometimes there's just things in this world that don't make any sense, and you just have to go with the easiest solution and don't overthink it. So like I said, there's a good chance that that did happen. But as I've said like 10 times, where there's Kennedy, there's death. That's just how it is or how it was. And it's not, we know, at least we don't know for a fact, but we know or speculate that there was an affair. So she was around the Kennedys. So there's different kinds of people that could want her. JFK could have wanted her. Robert Kennedy could have wanted her out. People that were in with the family but knew that she couldn't be around them. Like it could have been just the FBI, like, okay. We can't have her around these Kennedys. It's a hazard because they might tell her too much information. They could have ordered it. It could have been anybody. It doesn't have to just be the Kennedys. It could be anybody. But like I said, I always try to conclude with my opinion. I believe that she knew information that she wasn't supposed to know, or at least they told her, one of them told her, and she either threatened to go public or something of that sort and the housekeeper and the psychiatrist were in on it and they were either in on it because they were corrupt or because Robert Kennedy or the mafia threatened them. And when the mafia threatens you, you don't say anything. So I'd have to say it was probably a joint effort between Robert Kennedy and the mafia. And more than likely what she knew was something related to the mafia. Now, it would be great if it was something to do with UFOs and Roswell. But more than likely, I think she knew something about Jimmy Hoffa and the drug trade. Something just too big, and she had to be taken out for it. But like I said, it's a closed case. And everybody basically associated with this isn't living anymore. So all we are is left to speculate. Was she really a damsel in distress? Or is there truly more to the story of Marilyn Monroe? That is it for this week's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. Learned something new. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. I appreciate the engagement every week. 
your ideas, your suggestions. I really appreciate them all. I'd love to hear what you got to say about this. Do you think it was suicide? I'd like to know. Do you think there's more to this? I'd love to hear your different kind of ideas. Like I said, I don't think that what I say is truth. I'm always open to different ideas, different suggestions. There's so many things that y'all have changed my mind on. So please keep up the engagement and giving me your ideas. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and press that button real quick so you can get the episodes as soon as they drop. If you're on Apple or iTunes, we appreciate it. Take a quick second just to leave an honest review, leave a star review, just so that people that are looking into this can see some honest opinions about the show and hopefully it helps grow our community. And we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson and this is Paranoid.